Hello and welcome to the CMG podcast, bringing you some interesting conversations on business, life and career. I'm Tony Cantwell, and in each episode, I'll be speaking to a special guest to invite them to share their knowledge and expertise. Make sure to check out our links for upcoming CPD training and conferences in the descriptions below. In this episode, we take a look at how a business startup in the construction sector has dealt with some of the challenges facing its industry and has gone on to become a market leader in the sector. To give us some of his insights to this, I'm delighted to be joined by Paul Mitchell, co-founder of Mitchell McDermott, one of the leading construction consultancy operations in the Irish construction industry today. Paul's career spans over 20 years, most of which was spent as a director of Davis Langdon, two of them spent in San Francisco. Shortly after ACOM acquired Davis Langdon in 2010, Paul became their Head of Programme Cost and Consultancy in Ireland, whilst also sitting on the UK-Ireland board with a remit to expand services in mainland Europe. In 2015, along with his colleague Anthony McDermott, they co-founded construction consultancy firm Mitchell McDermott, which has enjoyed significant growth over the last four years and continues to expand. In fact, Paul has loads more but I'm not reading them out. The list is way too long. Paul, you're very welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much, Tony. How's business? Business is good. Yeah? yeah. Can't complain. Yeah. Uh, busy market out there. I'm looking at it and I'm thinking to myself, um, I remember you and I met um, about four years ago in the Radisson. That's right. Uh, we had a cup of coffee and you were telling me that you were planning on starting your own business with a colleague of yours. Uh-huh. Um, you were a bit nervous. You were a little bit apprehensive, I remember, at the time, but you were also very confident. But it's worked out fantastically well for you, isn't it? It's gone really well. I think yeah. timing is everything. Um, it was towards the end of 2014 we left our previous business. Yeah. And, um, you know, and it was effectively a business I'd been in one month short of 20 years mm. um, through acquisition and merger, but effectively in the same office apart from a couple of years in the States. So, yeah, it was a big move, you know. Yeah. Um, How nervous were you? Uh, I suppose we, uh, I remember in that summer, uh, and I was, uh, we were on holidays, and I sat down, and you know you're having those thoughts, what will I, won't I, what yeah. will I do? I said, right, Paul, take out your notebook, looks a bit like this one in front of me. And I said, write down all the clients that are definitely uh, a definite cert. Uh, and I wrote down three. <laughs> and that's all I could write. <laughs> and because of restrictive covenants and all that kind of good stuff, we didn't talk to anyone before we left. And during our, our um, gardening leave, and I met one of the three, the dead certs. And I met this gentleman and I said to him, I said, so you may have heard. He said, Paul, I have. I have. Wow, big news. He said, you know. And I, he said... Uh, I said, well, look, maybe in due course we could have a cup of coffee. And he says, well, and he's with a, a core person. He says, well, you know the way it is, Paul, now with panels. And he said, how, how formal everything is, you know. And I looked and my three suddenly became, became two. two. Oh, wow. <laughs> but, that's a, but that's a massive, I mean, that's a real leap of faith in the sense that you couldn't talk to a lot of other clients. There was no conversations you could have. Mm. You maybe might give out a few little things, but generally speaking, you couldn't do any of that stuff. And then you have that big, 
How were the family? Was there like the family support? Was there an element of this had better work? I think I think you know I was uh, completely honest, and you wouldn't do this if you don't have a family behind you. And um, I spoke with Dan, and I said, Dan, I said, look, this is a venture into the unknown. I says it may work, mm. it may not work, it may not be. I could have sat comfortably where I was for the next ten or fifteen years, no problem. Um, but I wanted to get back to an owner-controlled business. And, and you know, my wife was behind me 100%. As I say, behind every successful man is a surprised woman. Um, yes. But, um, <laughs> you know, you couldn't do it. You can't do all the startup stuff if you don't have someone else carrying extra weight at home. And, you know, yeah. she still does that. But you see, <laughs> but you see the thing I, I, I suppose I'm most fascinated by is, like, the construction sector is a somewhat unique sector in general business terms mm -hmm. um, I've always felt and while it's full of very talented uh, and amazing people it's a very straight talking and no nonsense no prisoners type of business as well mm. and so it really is uh, survival of the fittest mm. and in that environment you were looking at this aspect of your life where you're saying I want to be in control of a business I want to run this business mm. And you had maybe two clients mm -hmm. that you could maybe build this foundation on. Mm. That's a little bit, for want of a better description, ballsier than normal. Yeah, um, you know. But I think the like I, I started off my life in 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 what was PKS yes. right, that became Davis Langdon PKS, a fantastic company, and I got a great. I had great mentors, I was trained, I was pushed, and it was, you know, I became a partner there at the age of 30. It was a progressive company. We merged with Davis Langdon, another fantastic company. Um, you know, and there was a lot of, there was a lot of great grounding, a lot of great skills, a lot of great professionalism. We effectively sold the business in October 2010 to an American corporate. Um, you know, you got to experience life in a corporate. Um, which is very different. Yes. And then, you know, it was very clear to me that I had to go to uh, an owner-controlled business again. And the choices were join one of your competitors that you fought against for the last 20-odd years or start afresh. And to be honest, there was a few raised eyebrows. And as, as one gentleman put it to me, he rang me and he said, uh, Paul, I can't believe it. He said, you've, you've gone out. I said, is it true? It is it true. He says, you're gone from herding elephants to washing them. Oh, God. <laughs> Which I thought was, I'd never heard that line before. And I said, if I am, I'm cleaning up a lot less. But anyway. Um, so you would have that. You, did you see yourself then as an entrepreneur? Did you always feel that was there? Because that's what you've essentially. I think because, uh, you know, uh, I've been so long in the Irish business that it wasn't, you know, such a leap. Yeah. Right. Um now, I was, and Anthony was, we both are, really pleasantly surprised. Because sometimes you'll say in the Irish market, oh, well, you know, you were ahead of this, that, or the other, but let's see how you are now when you're paddling your own canoe. Yes. Where in actual fact, what our experience was, was that the clients went, well, hang on, I've worked with those individuals before. I know I can trust them. And our biggest issue was scaling at the same rate to the projects. Yes. So we were used to doing medium to large size projects. We had to get the the team around us that could deliver those projects. And not alone did clients want to come to us, 
but people that we previously worked with. And the biggest risk that actually we put down and agreed on the page was not clients, it was people. Right. Right. And the whole company is based around people. And we said we, so people were saying, look, gee, are you going to be hiring? You know, we'd really like to jump across or jump with you. Um, so people that we worked with previously, you know, wanted to join. But that's a huge vote of confidence. It was. And to be honest, the people that we had join us over the first 12 months were known and trusted and they were, you know, they were Anthony and Paul people. And the kind of people you want to build a business yeah. with. And what we described to them day one was that we wanted to create that nucleus in the beginning, which was the ethos of the business. Yeah. Because whatever about clients and marketing and social profile, unless you actually have a business that has the right ethos and culture, you're going nowhere. And and that's what we've built. And what we said to those people is, as the business expands, we want you to be the Anthony and Pauls, because for the next ring of people that you're doing, we want you to pass on our, our cultures and values this is a trickle to the down next process. Ring. Yeah, and that as that tree grows, those rings grow each year, that the wood is still solid and you don't have yes. pulp either at the outside. Did you find it um, a real help to have a co-founder working with you to start off? Yeah, yeah. And I think um, Anthony and I are, are very different characters, but uh, we absolutely gel 100%. So there has never been a decision that we haven't said 100% agreed on. Right. And even when, and I always go back to this, the logo for the business, and we were sent through, I don't know, 60 logos, um, and I picked one, and Anthony picked one separately, and we both picked the same one. Wow. Uh, at ver- and we often joke about this, at various points along the route, we've always just, it's really, really tight, and that actually is critically important because as everyone else comes into the business they're watching the founders and they're saying well you know are those guys aligned yes and that we're 100% aligned which I think is you know it's a really solid thing to build from is that normal in the that sector Do I have partners that are on that page all the time I think I think we've been extremely lucky yeah now Anthony and I had worked for eight years together prior to that um, exactly. So there would have been yeah. the relationship. Absolutely. And formed. Anthony was, you know, he was, there was only three directors in the last business. Um, Anthony and I were two of them. Yes. Uh, he was head of commercial. I happened to be head of Ireland. Um, you know. We so you were working at that level anyway. We were working at that level anyway. Tell me, what was the first year like? The first year was really exciting and interesting. And... Um, we had a small office on Baggett Street. Um, I remember it. On the first floor. And um, the and I remember in on the second week, actually going back to that story of the guy that kind of said, well, we've got panels, Paul, and it's corporate. Mm. That gentleman's uh, head and boss, if you want, contacted me in the first month. He said, Paul, are you free for breakfast? I want you to meet you and Anthony with my other head of development. And within two weeks, they'd given us our first job. Wow. And, and, I w- and on the same street, within the same week or two, I walked down the street and I met a guy that we worked with. And he said, Paul, I've heard you're out. Must meet for a coffee. And I thought, oh, you know, one of those. Uh, two weeks later, we picked up a 40 million pharmaceutical job. And, you know, um, the amount of... So we turned down 
more project management opportunities in year one than we took on. Why? Because we said our biggest downfall would be or the biggest risk to our business. We had a reputation which you've protected. You know, you spend your whole life building a reputation, but you lose it in two minutes. Absolutely. And the biggest threat to us was that, now, I gave them a job and they couldn't do it mm. because they didn't have the resources. So come back to our people and our resources again. So so we said, we'd love to take it on. There was one particular high-profile project, and I said, we have the resources to do the cost management. We don't have the resources to do the project management. And they said, but you're turning down, you know, a 70 million euro job. And I said, I'd, I'd be turning down a lot more or I wouldn't be given the opportunity for a lot more if I didn't. Yes. They respected that and they came back to us afterwards when we were scaled up. Being honest, did that take a little soul searching to make those decisions? Because these are big projects that come there, at yeah. you straight yeah. off. Yeah. And so they're votes of confidence. Mm. And let's be honest, every business startup wants that cash flow and wants that financing rolling through. Mm. So that was a big thing it, to it do, was wasn't a big, it? It was a big call, and they kind of and I said, look to the to the potential client. I said, we're not being arrogant about this. I said, we're actually being cautious. And and could we do it? Yes. Would it take up ninety five percent of my own personal time? Yes. Would that stunt the business? Yes. So I said we get the right people in. So you actually were making a decision about the growth of the business and you focusing on that rather than maybe that particular project. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, it yeah. was working on yeah. future business. Yeah. So in those first three months, mm. when the first initial month is gone and people have heard the news mm. and the phone calls maybe slow down a little bit, mm. um, what happens then? What well, to be honest, the, the phone... You probably had a lot of workload anyway, did the, you? The, the, the phone kind of, uh, like, it was, you know, like Anthony and I were kind of like excited kids because, oh, I got a phone call from such and such. We've been appointed on this and we've been appointed on that. And and I think for those... So some people would have thought, oh, well, they're, they're startup, they're small, they're only going to be able to do X and from day one and even during our gardening leave my wife said I can't believe you're going to have three months off and I said three months off? I said these are going to be three of the busiest months of my life I said we're setting up a business and recently we had an external management consultant come in and assess our business mm. and they, they confidentially interviewed our staff to find out what they really think they interviewed the management team to say what did you think and they said do they match? And then they spent four hours interviewing me to go through the company systems and process. And this person has worked in some major corporations and other businesses. And they said, so Paul, we thought, given your scale of business, that you were going to be, you know, it was going to be people running around and bumping into each other. And, you know, they said, there are so many systems. And, you know, you've got diversity policies, you've got adoptive leave policies, you've got a 120-page company handbook that you wrote yourselves. You know, like I never expected this amount. And she says, I haven't seen this in lots of really mature companies. And and from day one, like having had the experience of the owner controlled, the the big, you know, 1500 strong yeah. Davis Langdon, the corporate, there was a lot of good stuff there that we've learned over time that we said we'd put in from day one and try and then as the business grew, everyone was just growing yeah. off the same platform, that it was expandable. And I think that's an important thing for people starting business. It is, but also like those systems, in my limited knowledge of the construction sector, um, that's not normal, is it? 
Is it normal now? Maybe was it, you know that I think the construction industry has become a lot more professional yes. than it was thirty years ago. Yeah. Um I think risk management I think the downturn did a lot to people's businesses and process where they said, Look, we can't just we have to have processes, we have to have risk mitigation. I think the contractors, a lot of the contractors have changed their risk profile or their approach to risk. So I think there are a lot more systems and procedures in place. But I do also think there are a lot of companies that kind of just seat of the pants go at it yeah I think the seat of the pants type of thing is um, probably indicative of a has been Mm. indicative of the industry in many aspects of it in all the sectors and services and how are you managing the staffing challenge Mm. that's going on throughout the entire country but particularly in Dublin Mm. it is it you know was identified as I said at the very beginning and remains the biggest challenge. Yeah. As I say, we have 46 volunteers today because any of those, well, hopefully not Anthony, um, can just move yeah. tomorrow morning. Yes. Right? So you have to hit the kind of the basics, the hygiene factors, you know, the, the salary and the, that type of thing. But then what else? Yeah. So one of the biggest thrills I get out of actually the business is developing people. Yes. So it gives me great joy to see someone, and I have someone in mind as I say this, that came into the business at a particular level and is now someone that we would see as one of, you know, a future star of our business, right? And gives us great pride to see how someone has grown. So one of the big things is our investment in, in people. Now, whether that's soft skills training, whether that is some of the management team stuff that we do but but real training and mentoring you know it is setting up a whatsapp group and having a two-hour session on a sunday because we've got three eyes going for the chartered exams on the monday it's 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 real investment in people and time not not tick the box and not not flowery colory sheets isn't it very motivating as um, a business owner to actually see people in the company who more than just buy in to the company but they become passionate about the company they see uh, the future mm. uh, with that company mm. they, they contribute in such a way that you look at it and you think wow and even just on a personal level mm. you look at that and you think you feel very proud mm. that you've, you're experiencing that and it's it stemmed from you and your mm. efforts you and in your case and, and Anthony yeah, it, it's funny you know when we set up the business the one thing I said we'd do when we were, if I was never set up a business was to never never use your own personal name right because of all the changes I saw in previous businesses um, but when we got to it we said well actually what we're trading on is our name Okay, that's what's so hence the Mitchell McDermott. Um, Mitchell McDermott to me now is just a brand. Yes. Right? Because the people with it, it's, it's the people's company. It's not Anthony's and Paul's company. And they've taken it on. So, you know, for example, we have something like 12 working groups at the moment working on different things that they brought up as things within the business, whether it's technology, gender diversity, diversity as a, as a whole, um, data you know different quality procedures and they those teams have been led by other people and non-management as well yes and that is the people having a real sale so we've we've just been through our mid-year annual performance reviews and as one lady said to me she said 
I'm in this company a year and a bit. She says, when I speak, I'm listened to, and things happen. Yes. As in actions take yeah. place. And I said, that's because you come up with really good ideas. You know, but that's the kind of progressive it, feel that we have at the moment. But it does stem, it has to stem from the founders. And then it works from that. And so if the founders are very clued in and know what they want and are very clear about what they want in the future, apart mm. from the business success, but also the ethos mm. of the business. Yeah, you know. I think that's that. like everything, you know, you have mission statements and you have all the rest. Um, but the values piece is critical. Yes. And and that you can write that down all you like. But if you don't live and breathe that, you know, yeah. Um, You've got to be a walking example mm, of it. Like we brought in a senior person into our business and in the first week, and I overheard them and they spoke to one of our other uh, project level guys and there was a tone and the tone was, you'll do that and you'll have that ready for me for two o'clock. And as soon as the senior person walked back into my office, I just went, can I have a quick word? You know, I said, um, just, I said, we don't, you know. Mm. I said, will you, are you able to? Can you have it ready for, right? When can you have it ready for? And that person that he spoke to also came to me separately and said, just had an interaction today. And I said, yeah, I heard it. Still was. Right. And, and I think if you're doing that, you know, that's the living and breathing. Yes. But, you know, you're only as good as yesterday. Do you find that, um, I found here uh, in CMG that young people coming into the company are very open to um, in how they're managed and how they're structured and how they look forward to things. Older people, perhaps not all, but some will have certain amount of baggage that you may have to approach in a different way. Hmm. Do you have, do you see that in a similar way? I think uh, the average age in our business at the moment is 31. Okay. Um, and uh, the, I'm, I'm not the eldest. I've just been hit. Um, You'll never the, be the end. You look remarkably yeah, young. You've uh, looked young for about 50 well, years. Well, keep now. it coming. A face for radio. Um, but um, I think the one thing, what I've got, is that I think that the younger people that we have in our business, I'm really impressed by. Yes. And it's not just, it's their ideas, but it's their wider thinking. Yes. You know, I had now much narrower thinking at their age and their health conscious and they're progressive and they're just they've a much wider knowledge and I think for the people that have been in other businesses we spend a lot of time on the recruitment piece and yes. yeah you know you can get it wrong particularly with people coming in at senior level because they have walked a different path yes and it is very difficult to understand that the induction process. process has to be so different yeah and to be honest we have we have treated our six-month probation thing we pay a lot of attention to right and because if someone doesn't fit i've seen the damage that has occurred in other businesses when that's just the difficult problem is just pushed to one side yes you know you have to deal with it right and you know and we have um and i think that's any business and we've actually you know for our last hire which was a senior hire we actually went down the route of you know the psychometric testing before they joined. They were coming from a different country. They thought it was a novel approach. Uh, they did the surveys. They got the report themselves. We have all done the reports ourselves within the management team and the seniors. Yeah. And I gave him mine before he joined. 
and I said, this is what you're letting yourself in for. Yeah, this is what you're working with. Yeah, and are you comfortable with that? Yeah. You know, yeah. and uh, would I have changed some of the writing on the report if I had a chance of my own? I would. <laughs> it's, yeah, exactly, because it's kind of interesting when you see it and you see a third party describing you and your emotional status and your social status and what what hits your buttons yeah. and yeah. you look and you think really am I that person uh, I'm okay with this part and this part but uh, I thought I'd be better on this yeah. or whatever and so to try and get that to gel with people coming in but that seems to be a fairly progressive I go back to this again it's a very it's a it's quite a progressive approach to the recruitment process and the induction process and the training process because you obviously don't just do it at the start it's a it's an ongoing yeah and we did uh, so we brought in uh, we brought in two consultants but we brought in a, a management consultant at, at the beginning of this year mm. um, and we did a day away with them um, and they did the, the it's the Forte Institute uh, out of Cork um, and did an excellent day with us where they did the testing in your dominant non-dominant patient inpatient conformist non-conformist and then they put all the charts up beside each other which makes everyone gulp yes um, and then we thought that this was such a good thing for the management team to do that we did the seniors, uh, all the seniors in the business as in a way day. And then there's all the interaction reports. But it's just, it's another thing. And people are looking at it kind of going, well, actually, you're doing this for me. So for all the senior team have, for all the management team have one-to-one -one coaching, right? Which we never get to hear about. They can discuss what they like. They can go in and say, that Paul guy, I can't mm. work on. I'll never get to hear that. And they're kind of, and they've come back to us and said, "You're actually investing in us for us' sake." Well, we are, but that ultimately comes back into the business. But that we're going through that process because, like, we're in our fifth year, and we're now writing our business plan for the next three years, which is probably as critical as the first one we wrote. You wrote a business plan for oh, the first did. three years. We did it for the first three years. Okay. Yeah. Um, and how did without getting into details? Yeah. Did it? How did it compare after three years? Uh, I I came across it this morning and I sent it to Anthony. I'm says I'm sending this to you for a laugh. Oh, go on. So it didn't compare at all. <laughs> <laughs> we were uh, we were much much more conservative in your business plan. Yeah. Right. So we did not. Um, so I think we had expected that we'd have about thirty people at this stage. Mm. We had turnover figures in there which are different to today yeah. um, and but you've it, got what 46 people now. 46 yeah and yeah now we're still hiring but we're we're at our so we've gone through our kind of steep growth phase um, and we'll probably get to 60 65 people if we yeah. do you opened up a second office yeah so we we had a so we moved out of our little office in 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 Baggett Street in after nine months uh, we, yeah. we outgrew it I remember passing by and thinking how did he get out of the lease yeah yeah <laughs> carefully worded in the first place yes um, and then we got a we got a lovely office on Leeson Street and we said this is perfect this is going to fit 40 people 45 people if we're hot desking you know it's parking it's garden it's yeah. everything and we got there and you know and we just we were then restricting the project management side we brought in Michael Gallagher uh, and uh, as a director in charge of project management and that side of the business has grown exponentially since he arrived Great. Um, and, and Michael has fitted into the to the Anthony and Paul piece like a glove 
um, you know, really just another solid addition to the company and same yeah. ethos, same values, same work ethic. Yeah. Um, and then he has attracted more people that are like him. Of course, yeah. So, um, but then we were kind of going, we're restricting our growth due to real estate, which is a bit silly. So we then uh, took another kind of nearly identical office on Leeson Street further down the street. Yes. Um, and then we had... So Anthony's teams and, and Michael's project management teams have gone in there. Um, so um, is it more difficult? It, it definitely is. Yeah, yeah. It, is, it is. And and I think, you know, when we were all kind of in the one building and we were all, it was really, really busy and you couldn't get a meeting room. Uh, but there was that buzz. And then you divide it in two and you send it off to a, a bigger yeah. office that's, you know, you're only filling up half the space in and you lose a bit of that buzz. Um, so it's kind of one of those things that it's, it's while it's got room for growth, it it does maybe dilute the little thing the thing a little bit. It does, and then you're going to build it back up though. But yeah. confidence in the business is there to obviously yeah just yeah. move it up again. So those two buildings are two thirds full now or more, um, and we swap our social events from one office to the other. So you know every Thursday the business is together. So there's training for three Thursdays every month. Uh, and the fourth Thursday is social. Great. Um, and I remember our first, what we call comms meetings on a Thursday, and one of our trusted lieutenants from before joined us. And he came, and it was fun, and it was crack, and whatever, and he was walking up the stairs afterwards. This is two and a half years ago, maybe. And he said, oh, it was fun. He says, uh, but he says, that won't last. And I said, when, and I was interested in what he meant. He said, well, you know, you can't just have that kind of, you know, fun kind of atmosphere or whatever you know you have to get down to the serious stuff and I said I hope not you know yes. and and it was like someone was in my office one day and they said and there was raucous laughter from another office yeah and he said oh jeez they're, they're not doing much are they and I said that's music to my ears yeah that's happy people happy people you know and and as the business has grown we can't have you know 46 people in a room every Thursday no um, so the training is geared to different levels and, and we've switched that we have our town halls every quarter so everyone gets together. Um, but tonight is our, it's meant to be our beer and pizza monthly night, but it's going to be a barbecue subject to weather. Subject to um, weather, yeah. yeah. So yeah. there's... But you're off, when you, I'm kind of interested to find out where the concept for all of the additional aspects to working with Mitchell McDermott came from, because I don't think they would have been in ACOM or... Davis Langdon to that level where well, they would with coaching and the, um, the 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 social kind of aspects that go along with it and the hands-on yeah I think that um, I think there was a lot of things that you would that you have seen in the past and maybe we've seen a lot of really good things in the certainly the mentoring and the training piece in PKS was big right. so I, I certainly got a lot of that instilled in me there the Davis Langdon piece, the bigger business, uh, and certainly what I saw with the guys in the UK, and that when you got to partner level, you there was still a focus on training. It was different training. It was mm. no longer technical. You had an actor at a table with you, and you were doing a performance review, but you had you were in a goldfish bowl. You had six other partners watching you. Right. That the training never stopped. Okay. Right, and that's one of the things that we've that I've picked up from there that we've just carried through as a theme. But the, the great thing about us is that we're fleet of foot. So when Anthony and Michael and I sit down and we say, mm. okay, 
this is what we want to do. Right, the whole office is going to Clare Island um, to an old colleague of ours uh, next month in two weeks' time, um, and we're going to go down there and we're going to do our road tearing, our coast steering, and we'll have our night and we'll have our, you know, yeah. and just unadulterated fun. Yeah. Um, but I suppose we can make the investment. Yes. And I think in some companies, if I take the last business, you know, it was a different time. It was, you were going, you were crisis management. You took over a business in October 2010. You know, you were f- yeah. fighting through, you had a business that you had 150 people in, it went down to 35. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. It, was, it was a different time. Yeah, horror stories. Whereas we could easily, you know, turn around now and say, okay, well, it's it's a frothy market. It's really good. Uh, let's make a killing and you know sell Mitchell McDermott mm. right and and we don't want to do that no we want to grow a tight business and what we've said in our mission statement is we want to be the consultant of choice we don't necessarily want to be the biggest do you think the construction sector is unique Paul in business startups I say general business I think it's it it doesn't suffer fools and no. it's it's pretty it's it can be ruthless can't it's it? it's it's aggressive yes you know and i'm so used to it now and i remember somebody saying it to me that operated in other sectors um about you know how it's so different to others and you know i i don't notice it anymore no i've been in it all my you've life. been in it and <laughs> that's it but do you think if there was somebody looking at doing a business startup um in that sector are there any unique aspects or any particular advice you'd be saying to them in terms of watch this or make sure you have that or yeah i think the thing is that your 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 personality and your business traits have a nasty habit of following you yes so if you think you're going to do a startup and things are going to be very different to how you currently operate they're not right whether that's good or okay. whether that's bad mm. and i think that in the construction industry it's a small industry your reputation is everything and there are no shortcuts mm. and if some way along the line you know when I look and we often analyze why do we get our business why do we get our repeat business which is a big thing for us why do we get 80 odd percent repeat business yeah. which is huge yeah and it's something you work yeah. on right and it's because as I say you're only as good as yesterday yes you know yes but the thing about it is particularly with the repeat business um, I know with us in CMG that we have a very high ratio of repeat business mm. but people know what they get they like what they get mm. and as long as we keep enhancing it just a little better exactly. and a little more mm. and it's the same I imagine mm. and it's like you know when I do APRs with people their annual performance reviews one of the items in it is innovation yes and everyone kind of gets a little bit stumped and I say look I'm, I'm not looking for the the next iPhone I'm just looking for the fact that the corners might be curved this time. It might be easier to get into your pocket. Yes. And and the amount of stuff we get back from people and we implement, that you're always just that. And as I say to people, when you look back in three years' time, oh, look at the way we've changed our business. Yeah. And that goes from the person that's in with us for a year out from college to the person that's in the management team. Yeah. yeah. And I think that, that bit excites me too. Yeah. yeah. So I think when people are looking at, maybe there's people listening who are considering going out on their own, mm. they're considering doing a startup, um, they probably see the industry as being quite buoyant. It's certainly a very mm. favourable time, I'd imagine, if you were looking at a startup. Whether that be a trades business or whether it be mm. a services sector or whatever, um, 
what would be maybe top two or three things you'd say to them? Okay, if you're thinking along these lines, mm. make sure. I think I think you'd, you 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 need to know like the two things are where you're going to get your work from, and who's going to do your work, you know, and and definitely sit down and put the bones of a business plan together. And that's very difficult to do because yes. you're kind of staring into a crystal ball. Um, I mean, you can make up an awful lot of stuff on a business yeah, plan. It's, it's very easy to be optimistic. Yeah. I think, you know, get some external advice. Um, we didn't, you know, I found that there wasn't a lot out there to support consultancies. Mm. So there's grants for different things like innovative businesses or sustainability business. There's nothing for a consultancy. No. There's no... You know, there was, there's very little there, unless you're actually planning to export. I uh, think, well, yeah. Uh, yeah. Then, then you're not going to really get a lot of assistance there. So, you know, just have know that you're self-supportive, you know, in that you you have the different aspects, that you actually know how a business runs. Yes. You know, and I suppose we had that advantage because we ran businesses. Um, in some cases, we own them. You're part of a bigger partnership. Corporate's completely different. Um, you built on your background. Yeah. So, we, I, you know, we had a lot of those skills. You know, you don't spend 20 years somewhere and not pick up a kind of, you know, a wide range of skills. So other people are maybe starting off and they don't have those skills. So make sure to talk to people, talk to other people, mm. um, get that kind of information. Yeah. Ultimately, I imagine as well, though, I remember when I started off and it's, I don't know, 100 years ago. <laughs> And um, the fear that was there, because I was confident, mm. um, but there was always a healthy dose of fear. And I yeah. think in the early days for me, perhaps the fear of failure drove me um, to 20 hour days and things like that. Mm. And But you had to have that almost overwhelming confidence that you yourself can do this. Mm. Did you have a... See, we never had a question about whether we could do because you only opened work. up with two clients. Yeah, you, yeah. I mean, there was yeah, you know. and and you know, we we and the those two out of those three that I wrote down weren't even the first ones on the on the door. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> even that's that's business plans for you. Yeah. Um, but you know, you have to. Like, I think you have to know. You have to really know what you're doing. Like, yes. if if you're selling something, then whether you're making widgets or you're selling consultancy service, if you can't do that. You have to really question the basis of your of your business. I suppose I don't class I don't class our business as a true entrepreneurial business actually, because I'm kind of going well. I'm just doing what we did before, and we did it for the last twenty two years, and yeah. now we're doing more. But we're not making a new thing. But I, I I don't know. I disagree with that, Paul, because okay. I think an awful lot of entrepreneurs very often don't see themselves as mm. entrepreneurs mm. because they have a certain level of confidence there's a certain level of enthusiasm and it's in themselves mm. that they will we're going to do this and we're going I mean you would not have taken that big step off a cliff you thought there was some sort of safety net maybe there it wasn't a huge one but your confidence in your reputation and your skill base mm. was probably fuel to confidence skill like the one biggest thing I had was that you know you had come from a very large business both Anthony and I had and we'd always been in large businesses that when you're starting up the people just go okay well they were okay in the big business 
but where are they? That was the biggest fear. Yes. Um, was like, well, what are they now? Because they're just, you know, they're just a so-called startup. Yes. Um, and and if we look now, probably by size, about what we do, are we, we're certainly in the top five. Are we in the top three, maybe, uh, in terms of size? But again, that's just size. Um, I would actually rather focus on what do people think of us. Well, I think if you've got size, as in market presence and a great reputation, you're going in the right direction, obviously. But there is another aspect then, as you get to a certain point Mm. and you wonder, how big do I want to go? Mm. How big big is too big? Mm. And we've seen in this country, obviously, back in the the awful days, Mm. um, how everybody suddenly felt they were going to get big. And I remember at one of our awards uh, a while back, a long time back, actually, and somebody from Enterprise Ireland telling me that all the Irish landing in London, in uh, Gatwick or Heathrow, feeling that they were a big fish in Ireland and they were going to be an equally big fish in the UK, and they were saying, and he said, they just not completely misread, and because they just had this thing about growth. Yeah, yeah. What's your view? Where? How do you manage that, or mm. do you manage expectations? Because you've also got staff. Where? How big are we going to get? Yeah. And yeah, and we're right in in the middle at the moment of writing the next three years, so 2022. Yeah. Um, one of our USPs is that where your 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 directors are hands on. Okay, so uh, Paul and Anthony are at project tables. Michael's at project tables. Um, we're mentoring people. We're bringing graduates who are sitting beside us when we're doing certain mm. things. Um, that's a big thing for us. And that's why people want to be with us. Yes. And why clients want to be with us. Now, if we get to a place where it was previously, where you actually start to become just a manager and you're internally focused and you're just looking at finance and you're just looking at marketing, that's not where we want to be. So therefore, we will only grow, you know, and we've had our we've had our big growth phase. Yes. And we've had the kind of the exponential growth. And over the next three years, we'll be consolidating our team. And, you know, say we're 46 now, we'll be getting to 60, 65, you know, and we'll be holding that as what we would see as a really tight business, the best business in the market. Right? And let's see where that... And, like, we will be heading into leaner times, right? Yes. And I've steered a business through leaner times before, and you know what to do. Um, but you really need to be tight. You do, and I imagine from like, like you would have been in the thick of business back in the last big downturn. Mm-hmm. Would have seen firsthand the companies around you and what happened, and mm-hmm. we all did. Mm-hmm. We all have experience of that. Does it make us a bit more cautious going forward? It does. Yeah, and I think one of those. Do things you see that in the industry? Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's it's it was more prevalent two years ago. Really? Yeah. And, and I think and I think because the pressures to grow and that where that would see is in the construction supply chain. Right. Where some of the people maybe didn't go through the downturn, have forgotten some of the things. And this is exactly what happened in the boom. That people who would never go off and buy two apartments kind of got to the point, well Johnny's bought one and Tony's bought one and Andy's bought one. Um well geez, I must buy one. 
Yeah. And then that missing out. that last bit, that yeah. FOMO, yeah, and and that last bit. I'm not saying that's where we're we're definitely not there, but I think some of the shackles, the fear of the growth because of failure, is dissipating a little bit, which I think is is reasonable because we're not in the same market. We're not in a debt fueled no Irish market. No, it's it's different and it has different risks. Uh, it has very different risks from before. What will be the key risks now? Well, if you look before, we were funded the, the the construction industry in terms of the private sector, right, and the development was funded by Irish banks, mm. okay, and developers. And now what we've we've got a very uh, more um, detailed financial arrangement. So we've got a lot of overseas money, we've got a lot of foreign funds. And that they pick up a different bird name each week, whether it's cuckoo or vulture. Know, yeah. And in actual fact, it's it's uh, completely pejorative and shouldn't be used because if we didn't have those funds coming into the Irish market, right, that are headed by previous developers who didn't have the financial wherewithal they had before, we wouldn't have any apartments been built. And that's we wouldn't true. have offices been built. Is that that's. Is that media-driven? That it probably it's media-driven, and you can see different groups trying to rise up now to say, "Look, you know, enough of this, because you're actually you're damaging what we have." Yeah. And the public view out there is is very different, and like the public have seen, like I think the government have realised that we need developers, we need contractors. Actually, these are the people that deliver our homes. Yes. Right? And it's something that we're heavily involved in at government level and at different groups level to try and, and move that on. Um, and so in terms of the difference now, if if the government did something um, and they, they affected tax structures or whatever on, on funds or something, uh, a global wind was to change and Trump decided to do something and the funds decided, oh, we have to retreat back, Ireland would... In, in our area in development would suffer something sharp I would have think yeah. as, a, as a shock yeah um, now a lot of them in, are in for the long haul in the long haul I say three to five years uh, in, involved in schemes because that's how long they take but I think equally I think a lot of people from a caution point of view be very hesitant to look beyond three to five years wouldn't you in any given you're straw the wind really yeah, aren't you yeah like it's it's as I say we're doing a three year business plan and that's yeah. you can definitely do next year you can see a lot into year two and in year three well if year one and two happen year three will end up like this yeah yeah. but you know but it's, it's got to be built on yeah. that basis is there too much political interference in the construction sector no in your opinion I actually think that the changes that were made by government from a housing point of view have been really positive. Really? Yeah. I think they've now, I, you know, I'm head of residential for the Society Chartered Surveyors. We were involved in writing a report in 2017 into apartment viability that was published. We sat on a group with the Department of Housing. Right, guidelines got changed. That unlocked development. Now, that combined with funds coming into the market has driven apartments. People are not seeing it on the ground. Yet. Yet, because, you know, it takes seven, eight months to get a planning permission. The, mm. the regs changed in March seven in March 18. It takes that long to get planning. Then you have to design it. Then it takes two years to build it. 
uh, or a year depending on the size of the scheme so that's why we're not seeing them but you will see a wave of apartment development in urban centres only mainly Dublin followed by Cork followed by Galway followed by Limerick right? you, you will see that mm. and that is what's going to put more pressure so as our as our hotels have now entering into their final phase as the offices are entering into the final phase the shift is now to medium to high density uh, housing apartments yeah. but I, I I sometimes liken the housing whole housing side of things a bit like heading from the Stalorgan Jewel carriageway into Donnybrook Donnybrook being the planning right yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and uh, you mean the bottleneck? The bottleneck. Yeah. I mean, you've got all of these three lanes yep. coming down and coming in, and then suddenly we're in this very little windy village road to get through to the other side. Um, is that... Do you see changes there? Is there? There have been changes, and they brought around about this thing called the Strategic Housing Development, or SHD route. And before, where you would have been in planning for... 12 or in a really bad case 14 16 months mm. we're now getting through this route in kind of seven eight months okay and what's happened is you effectively you know you liaise with the local authority but then you go straight to the onboard planola to make your decision so the local authority have to sign you off to say your scheme is good enough and you go straight to the board that is having a very positive impact yeah that that was driven by government um the government have also said planners you are under resourced but when you have a stack of planning applications on your desk you will prioritize the residential ones right. again okay. that's that's having a positive effect and um, it's still slow yeah it's still unbelievable and like when we look at our colleagues and our clients that come from the uk or the states or wherever they're from um they cannot understand the planning system I've met so many people, um, even standing on the sidelines of a Saturday morning soccer match, and you get into discussions with architects and engineers and people in the industry who just by accident you find out they're in that sector, and they would they could literally spark up a, a conversation on the whole thing for the duration of the match yeah. on planning. Yeah. And now it is getting better, as you say, but it still seems it's still to be difficult. Yeah. yeah, and I think, you know, when you look at the problems that we have and the housing problems that we have, you know, if, if you say, well, look, would I not, if I invested in just getting the resource into the planning system to yes. stop that bottleneck, because it is a bottleneck. Yeah, I mean, it's vitally, obviously, it's vitally important. They're going to protect ridiculous planning issues are going to prevent over bills in certain areas that just maybe are n should never have been mm. suitable for. Mm. So they do a, a phenomenal job. Mm. But you sometimes get the impression that it's stacked up, there's a, a, a dot missing on the eye and the T isn't crossed, so let's send that back. And sometimes, like in the commercial world, pick up the phone and go, Paul, yeah. Can you send me this back in with the T cross and the I dotted yeah. and we can move this? It's bureaucratic and then you have to look at, you know, we're involved with the local councils at the moment trying to adopt a different type of delivery for uh, affordable accommodation. Mm. You know, they're also completely constrained in process and yes. procedure and if they don't do in, something yeah. right, next thing suddenly they're hauled up in front yes. of the councillors because everyone, you know, development is complex. 
Well, it's and it's not even that it's necessarily litigious because it's not that. It's just bureaucratic in that regard. Mm. But we are also in a quite a litigious environment now, aren't we? We are. We the are. Construction sector itself. Construction and like I think the the construction in, uh, industry is confrontational and all the rest. I think one of the things that we're seeing as a change, particularly for urban development, is the opportunism from people in the city. Yes. Uh, residents. Um, holding, holding uh, up schemes mm. to ransom, mm. literally because they're looking for money. Really, um, and you know, with numerous schemes just stalled. Um, you know, whether court cases or whether they're just pure blackmailing, effectively. Yeah, I could. I I've seen a few of those over the past few years, in particular. But also, there seems because there's con- changes in contract law. There's been changes in um, the, the tendering and procurement process mm-hmm. in terms of legalities. And I remember um, a well-known um, solicitor stood up at one of our conferences um, a few years ago, in fact, and said, be very careful of the, the, what you put into these contracts because you could blow yourself up with some of the stuff you've put in there and some mm-hmm. of the issues you've put in. Uh, and it just... There seems to be the confrontation is in the contract, obviously. Uh, it is, and like we spend an inordinate amount of time in conference calls and meetings on negotiating construction contracts. Yeah. Uh, and as I say to all my clients, you know, uh, unless the fundamentals of the deal are right, your contract will never sort it. Yes. Best contract, as we all know, is the contract that stays in the drawer. Um, so you can spend, and a lot of clients, particularly overseas clients, um, you'll see relying more on legals and because they d- probably don't have the local relationships. Yes. And that's something that certainly we try and step in the middle of to say instead of One of our most popular, Paul, yeah. most our, uh, probably our most popular conference is construction law. Yeah, it's always well attended, yeah. It's always well attended um, and it's apart from the CPD perhaps. But it's it's a phenomenal conference packed out every year yeah and it's still all these years later i think we've been doing that for i don't know is that 20 years now or something a long time doing this that particular one and it's still so heavily attended Mm. because it almost seems like something has been passed it's now law but the practicalities of it may be a conflict with the the law or there may be I don't know. There's issues in terms payments is a big one, obviously, and mm. things like that. But there always seems to be holdups or hooks in the the construction contracts. There is like contracts are you know Con- yeah they're different. You know you're not producing a product you know that you put off the end of a of a conveyor belt. No. You're producing a prototype each time. Yeah, it's unique to that yeah, particular. It's, it's unique to that site, and uh, and I think if you can get you know we would pride ourselves on relationships yes and whether that's relationships with contractors or clients or lawyers and the really good construction lawyer is the one that will advise around the problem and not not go confrontational to the yes. problem um, and like there's a lot of people in the industry that have been here a long time that you can pick up the phone and have a conversation with and avoid that, going down any that, of those routes you know yeah. um, how do we compare with the UK and Europe in terms of the construction sector, in terms of say whether it's legals or whether it's speed of build or whether it's tech, it's um, I think in the UK, uh, which I have more knowledge of, 
it's that they they have a slightly different model so the consultants probably do less design and they hand it over to the design and build contractors earlier and they say okay contractor you do it Um, and some of our UK clients would say actually consultants in Ireland are very expensive and um, and how can they know what's best to build um, or type of building or concrete frame versus potential or whatever I said because that's what they do whereas in the UK actually I believe that they've actually lost a lot of that skill and the contractors have picked it up so I get a lot of UK clients going okay we'll just give them a set of planning drawings enter into a, a pre-construction services agreement and let the contractor run things I said yeah. they don't actually have they do it but I think in the UK the, uh, the contractors over there are more used to doing it and are, have a better skill set around that Right. So, um, but I think from our point of view here, I think the construction industry is extremely competitive. I met a contractor yesterday who's a non-Irish contractor who just said, I don't want to do any more work in Dublin. I said, why not? He said, I find it very difficult to make a profit here. I can, I'll, I'll, I'll take on work in London any day of the week or mainland UK mm. any day of the week he said, but Dublin is just, he said, yeah, the resources are so stretched, the supply chain isn't there. Um, you know, it's very costs. hard. Costs, you know. Yeah, um, through the roof. Um, are we becoming a little too Dublin-centric? No. I think we've just, you know, uh, we've obviously, it started in Dublin. It has, Cork has done really well in terms of expanding and some of the developers down there are doing really well office schemes you know we're doing uh, a number of schemes in Galway mm. some really big schemes in Galway we've just started a hundred million euro uh, office development lovely uh, on Bonham Dock that's that's something that Galway doesn't have at all so it's like a Dublin office block on the docks in Galway yeah. that has a 2% vacancy rate now for that, that project took us 18 months in planning you know went all the way to you know public yeah. on station all that so um, but so so I think a lot of it has been Dublin yeah and I mean is it starting to I mean I know there's always you see Galway maybe a little Limerick Cork for sure Cork for sure um, outside that the big the, it kind of gets a no, bit maybe you know Waterford um, the mm. Keys project down there well that's a big thing coming up yeah. isn't it that's uh, Limerick 2030 is you know there's yeah. lots of big developments in yeah. that um, which is great for Limerick to see that yeah. uh, progression. But I suppose part of the whole discussion on height and sustainability is that we have to actually pack our urban centres a bit better. Yeah. We can't just expand into Meath and Kildare from a Dublin point of view. Certainly not without the infrastructure. Yeah. 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 Unless and we've and that's always playing catch-up, isn't it? It is. You know, And in fairness, I think that Lewis is fantastic oh yeah right and we just need more and we need it quicker yeah (laughs) absolutely Um, we're kind of coming towards the end but I wanted to ask you in terms of going back to the staffing issue Mm. what's what's your view with regard to the apprenticeship process now I mean do you think they're getting it's very it tends to tie in with the boom bust cycles that have gone through the last couple of decades it's you know it's it's an oil tanker Uh, it's slow to turn um it's like anything, it's like our graduates coming out of college, you know, the country used to produce three or 400 QSs a year at the, at the height, 
and then it went down to producing 30 or 40 a year yeah and then it takes a long time that's a four-year program you know two years to become chartered on the apprenticeship you know i think the main contractors have taken some leadership there have got back in have started programs but it's slow because all of the the, the boom bus cycle mm-hmm. tends to be constantly mistimed <laughs> Because in the boom, everybody runs in, they all become, then it's the bust and then they're qualified and there's no role and then it falls off and it's yeah. a boom again and all of it. Yeah, and I think it, the last boom has to, you know, it was unique, right? Because yeah. it was a depression um, and it lasted so long. And then we didn't build anything for such a long period yeah. of time that yeah. now, you know, our next downturn might be the fact that offices have come to the end of hotels but we still have a lot of student accommodation to build we have a lot of hospitals to build absolutely um, and we'll um, get into that one. we have a lot of uh, <laughs> we have a hell of a lot of residential to Huge. do so you would hope that the it's it should be smoother but you know even when it comes to uh, maybe the wet trades or it comes to just the trades in general you, you find even on just on the ground hmm. ordinary joe can't get a builder for an extension yeah. or they you know they can't yep. get qualified plumbers or plasterers plasterers unique but um, there's always these issues from the apprentice point of view that and then I think sometimes what happens is that like I have a, I have a bee in my bonnet about sometimes the way apprentices are trained because they're trained very much on the skill mm. but they're not trained on the business aspects of you know anything if there's there's nothing after that if they want to go out and maybe have their own business yeah or yeah true there's a bit of winging it um, I think some of that happened I think with in the last uh, bust with the architects and engineers who just found they're taking on more work hired more people but they weren't they were perhaps great architects but mm. not maybe not great, great business people, business yeah. people. Yeah. so the, the business skills are very often missing in that link yeah yeah and I think you know, I think it's probably seen that in order to get the business experience, you get that through being in business and climbing up the ranks and then having it. Yeah, like for me, if they'd actually just focus on the technical skills yes. and making it attractive for people to get into that, that it's not just, you know, that if you don't go and do a college degree, you're a failure. Mm. No, this is something that's needed. It's a valuable skill. A lot of people are really well suited to it. Um, and 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 we need to attract more women into it across the industry, but also Absolutely. into the trades. Absolutely. Um, because we can't just rely on fifty percent of the population. You know, we have to. Yes. We have to get yeah. to, and that's. But I, I think it goes back. You said this at the at the start that um, in terms of things are changing and we're becoming more dynamic as a an industry and as a country and mm. so forth. But. We notice here in CMG training that there's a lot more people coming in who are in the engineering and the architects and so forth, but they're coming in to learn specific business skills, mm-hmm. or maybe it's more about GDP or, or it's about issues to do with finance for non-financial managers for mm. some staffing and stuff. So there's there's real kind of grasp on some of those type of things. And do you see that out there? In the yeah, and funny, one of those working groups uh, uh, that Fergal showed me yesterday evening, th- they wanted to know more soft skills, management skills yes. at, at all levels within yes. the business. And then Fergal said to me, he showed me a draft presentation which showed 87 soft skills. 
now until I have to talk to Tony about that. Yeah, <laughs> send me in that list, Paul. Will you? <laughs> There'll be a few more training programs in that. <laughs> send me in that list. But Listen, there is there is more of a want there. Yeah. There is, yeah. Mm. Listen, Paul, it's been fantastic. We didn't get into the industry as much as I'd hoped, but maybe you might come back uh, and we'll Happy look time. at that again. Yeah, excellent. Thanks very Enjoy much. Enjoy that. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for listening. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Also, make sure to check out our links for upcoming CPD training and conferences in the descriptions below. Thanks again.